Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day, another chance to bring you glory, to follow you, to follow the one who died for us. Father, we're extremely grateful that you sent your Son out of heaven to become a man and for the purpose of suffering and dying in our place, of being judged on the cross in our stead. Father, help us never take this reality for granted. Help us rejoice in your Son and the fact that he's now resurrected. Father, we ask that you bless this message this morning and you bless those who hear. Help us open our minds and our hearts to what you have for us. And we ask for the guidance of your Holy Spirit. Help us understand the things of God. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen. All right, beware where you turn, part four, once again. Uh, this series this week has been largely about guarding our hearts from all kinds of deceptions so that we may remain steadfast in the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. May nothing get in the way of that thing that God has desired for us. Simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. On the board, beware where you turn. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Deception. And being led astray begins in the heart, as we've seen this week. Satan would love nothing more than to turn your heart astray from the Lord. So the following principle that I'm going to put on the board now, we've seen four times in a row. And this is because if you believe in this principle, if you embrace this principle and accept it in your heart as true, you will be delivered from a lot of deception and pain in this world. Only God's wisdom from God's word can protect your heart from deception. There's nothing else, folks. No rationalization, no, none of your own wisdom or reading self-help books. There's nothing else that's going to protect you from deception in this world other than God's word and the wisdom that comes from that. So turn with me in your Bibles again to Proverbs 4, verse 23. As we see a good summary of what the Holy Spirit has been warning of us of this week. We've been in Proverbs quite a bit, but we're just going to read this passage because it really hits the nail on the head. Proverbs 4, 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it, your heart, flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead, and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. 
So what you honestly believe in your heart is what you're going to obey and do in your life. That's come out several times this week. And one of the main points from the Spirit also has been this on the board. The hearts of men are in the middle of the spiritual battle. This spiritual war that we are experiencing, whether some people realize it or not, it's all about the hearts of men and swaying and convincing the hearts of men one way or the other. So may we never take this battle lightly because from the heart flows springs of life. And without the Lord in the heart, what's the opposite of springs of life? So it really is a life or death struggle going on right now in this world. Satan's trying to, to deceive human hearts while God is trying to deliver human hearts. And which side a man falls on is dependent upon his humility. Another key point that came out this past week on the board is that faith changes everything. We're doing some review right now for the first 20 minutes or so to really get us back where we were on Thursday even. So just sit back and relax. But faith truly does change everything. Faith is the vehicle or the avenue by which Christ can dwell in our hearts. And the heart is cleansed by faith in Christ. Acts 15, 8 and 9, Ephesians 3, 17. And this happens at salvation, by grace through faith. And after salvation, we're called to guard what God has given us. We see it over and over. Guard your hearts. We have a new heart from God through Christ. And we're told to guard what He's given us. And we do that the same way that we became saved, by grace through faith. So again, as we've been noting, there's a real spiritual war going on. There's what we might call a spiritual tug of war going on. So on the board, let's look at a few principles that came out this week about this battle, this spiritual tug of war. In this world, there is a constant pull in the other direction. Sometimes from individuals or the media or authorities, all the above, There's a pull for you to turn towards them in some way, trying to sway your heart towards the world's ways. So that's number one. Realize that reality is there and it's constant. Don't fall, you know, into deception that it's not happening. There's a temptation for the good soldier to abandon ship, to seek an easier life that doesn't involve discipline, For example, living for self. Yet its end is the way of death. And we miss out on the glory of serving our Lord and King before we meet Him. So there's constant temptation. There's constant pulling to jump ship. Live for self. It's much easier. Satan won't tell you it's much more miserable, by the way. But it's much easier. And again, regarding the spiritual tug of war... But we choose to be used by the Spirit to ignore the temporary fleeting temptations of the world that tell us to live for self. For we believers look forward to seeing Him very soon with no regrets. Amen? Stay focused. Don't give in for the silliness that the world offers us.
Let's not be suckers for the lies that are thrown out to us. Hold up your shield of faith and don't even bother to look to the right or to the left. And again, be on guard for what your heart is trusting in. That's what the Spirit's been, you know, pecking at us this whole week. Be careful what your heart is trusting in. On the board, keep your eyes straight ahead. Keep your eyes on the cross and the absolute truth of God's word. And don't be swayed to the right or the left. There are crafty people out there who right now are being used by the kingdom of darkness, pulling people away from pure faith in the Lord. And they're puppets. They don't realize it, but they're puppets of Satan and his minions in this world, unless they humble themselves and turn to Christ in faith. But until that happens, they're puppets. They're being used, often unknowingly, to pull others away from Christ, to pull you down, to tell you you're overemphasizing the Word of God, that you're, you don't need to be consumed, quote-unquote, by the Word of God when, as we know, it's the springs of life. Be careful, because they're being used to deceive you. Our primary job is to guard our hearts. If we don't guard our hearts first, what good are we going to be in God's kingdom, and what good are we going to be to other people that we are called to spread the Great Commission to? So guard your hearts. Take care of your vineyard, your spiritual vineyard between you and the Lord whatever it takes. As the Lord instructed Jeremiah on the board in Jeremiah 15, 19, part C, they for their part may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. This has been an ongoing theme. They can turn to you. Hopefully they will turn to you. Really talking about the gospel and your, what you represent. But don't turn to them. This is really a heart issue on the board, folks. Don't turn in your heart to their influence, to their opinions of life, as nice as they might sound because they're good speakers. Stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the call on us as believers. We've been set apart, remember, for him and sanctified as his children for his good work. And the message this past week has been loud and clear on the board. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and stand firm. 1 Peter 3.15, Ephesians 6.10-17. We're told to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. In other words, make that decision. Make that commitment. You know, who is your Lord? Who's it going to be? It's somebody. It's either the Lord or it's your flesh or it's money or it's whatever idol you worship. Somebody's your master. Sanctify, Lord, as Christ in your hearts and stand firm. And gird your loins because you will be attacked in this world for your faith. But as long as you have Christ set apart in your heart, placing your Lord and Savior first, you'll be able to bear whatever he asks you to bear beautifully. You will. He's not going to give you more than you can handle. You might think you can't handle it, but you're going to come out the other side. He's going to give you the strength because guess what? He allowed it to happen. He knows you can bear it. And that faith under pressure 
is what brings God the most glory, right? Faith under pressure is what brings God the most glory. And when you get on your knees and say, Lord, I need your grace to get through this, that's faith. That's what we're here for, ultimately. So you'll be able to handle whatever and whoever attacks you even. Just don't turn towards them, especially in your heart. The idea of turning is mentioned a lot in Scripture, as we've seen this week. It starts with a turning of the heart and leads to a turning in the actual lifestyle. And then the Lord said he would judge based on the deeds that come from that lifestyle. But it all begins in the heart. We've noted over the last couple of years how important turning is in coming to salvation, where someone has to turn from sin and self and turn to Christ, you know, as their only hope. And as believers, we continue to live life according to this divinely given pattern. So on the board, regarding turning in the spiritual walk, repentance and faith are the daily way to walk with God to be delivered daily from sin and death experientially. It's really simple. If you look at it on the board, it's not complicated. It's not asking for your ability even. It's asking for your humility to repent and have faith each and every day, one day at a time. Now, if you're a believer, you know your flesh hangs around and nags you, and pecks at you, tries to antagonize you until the day you die. Just read Romans chapter 7. But each day we must decide which voice we will listen to, the Spirit's voice or the flesh's voice. And therein lies the battle, the daily battle for our hearts. Just read Galatians chapter 5. One example that came up on Thursday of something that can turn our hearts away from the Lord. It's wealth. And more specifically, it's living for wealth. It's not money itself. Remember the scripture says it's the love of money that's the root of all evil? It's not the money itself. It's the love of it, the passion for it, the greed, which we see a lot in this world now. So here's the problem on the board that was presented on Thursday. Where we build up our treasure will influence where our heart looks to for security. I mean, even people in the world will probably agree with this common sense principle. Where you build up your treasure, that's where your eyes are going to be. That's where you're going to lean on for stability. Remember, the Lord said, as we're going to see coming up in the scriptures, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Remember, we're talking about our hearts and being where, where our heart turns. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. What better reality to test our hearts than to see where we stand regarding money? So as I said on Thursday, are you ready, Sunday crowd? Those of you that weren't here Thursday, are you ready? Because some people don't want to talk about money. And maybe you have a problem with it. If, you, if, that, if this bugs your soul, 
that you don't want to hear what the Word of God says about money, maybe you have a problem in your heart and you need to turn to the Lord with that. So may I just suggest, open up your heart right now. Just see what the Scripture says. See what the Lord Himself says. And by the way, this applies to all of us, whether you have money or not. Because what we're talking about is what you think about it. That's what affects your souls, right? It's not if you have it. It's what you think about it. It's if you're chasing it. You could be poor as a stone. It's, does that make sense? <laughs> you, it matters where you're occupied, right? You could have nothing. So this could be just as much a problem for the people in India that live in huts with dirt floors as it is a problem for a billionaire in America. We're talking about the heart. And remember, too, the Lord himself talked about money and bondage to it quite a bit. Just read your Gospels. So it's apparently something we need to protect our hearts from, or we can be pulled away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Of all things, to take us away from the purity and devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ, money. Oh, right? Go to Luke 12, 32. It's a super sad situation. I mean, it's one thing for a person to pull you away. You know, like a, a real person, <laughs> not a fake person called money. If a real person you love, you know, it, it's one thing to be turned away by them or pulled away by them, but to be pulled away by an object like money is pretty sad. But it happens. Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. As the Spirit brought out on Thursday, notice how the Lord begins. He knows fear is a primary motive for the wrong perspective on money. Fear of not having enough, I guess, right? Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Pretty simple, isn't it? Where are you storing up your treasure? Our Lord says that's where your heart will be also. So I hope we each honestly ask ourselves this morning, what are we clinging to for security? What do our, our eyes look towards for stability? And I've had to examine myself. You know, trust me. <laughs> As you study to prepare a lesson like this, you're in it for hours. And the Spirit's, you know, having you examine yourself, and it's not fun. You find some ugly motivations floating around in your own heart. But why is God bringing this up to us again? Which he did, I think, about a year ago. He's trying to set us free from bondage and from idolatry. And again, where we allow our hearts to turn, the actions in our lives will follow, and that could lead to bringing no glory to God in our lives. So, for example, on the board, persuading the heart. 
The world will tell you, you have to save up money. You just have to. Save up for this, save up for that, save up for the future. You have to. What are you, stupid? Are you irresponsible? You have to. Especially in our American culture, which we have seen, we must examine to see if it's in line with the Word of God. Honestly, I don't know in the Scriptures where it says save, save, save. Especially in our Lord's own words in the Gospels. So here's a question that came up on Thursday just to think about. Who is trying to convince us that we need to save, save, save? Where does that system of thinking come from? Remember, the spiritual tug of war, a battle for the souls of men and their loyalty, a battle for the control of our hearts. Who is trying to convince us that we need to save, save, save? For example, are we here on earth to invest in our retirement? Or are we here to invest in the kingdom of God where our true retirement lies? If you're in the word of God, you know the answer to that is pretty clear. And I'm not judging. This is between you and the Lord. It's between each, each of us and the Lord. The Spirit is bringing these things up to test our hearts. To examine our hearts. What is our heart leaning on for security? Again on the board, regarding persuading the heart. Another catchphrase in our society is, you've got to pay yourself first. I think it's even become like a slogan on a bumper sticker or something. Pay yourself first. Implying, even before you pay your bills, you have to save for your future. You just have to. Who else is going to take care of you? Oh, I don't know, God? No. You just have to. Pay yourself first. You deserve it. A little flattery mixed in there to sucker you up, butter you up, wrong term. So while we're talking about this money thing, be objective, okay? Right now, be objective. Take a step back. Take the emotion out of it. Is this on the board God's perspective or the world's perspective? What does the Word of God say about paying yourself first? But it sounds so good. Why does it sound so good? Why is our flesh drawn to that phrase? Because it's taking care of who? Self. Self, self, self. Me, me, me. The Bible says, as we noted on Thursday, that God wants our first fruits, not our second fruits. Our first fruits. So is it possible to pay yourself first and give God first fruits? That would be impossible. And this is a term derived from the Old Testament where Jewish farmers would take the first and best of their crops and offer them to God. The first and best of their crops and offer them to God because they knew God was the very reason their crops grew in the first place. But why don't we have that attitude? Knowing that God's the one who 
even gave us our job and our ability to work. So the Word of God says a grateful heart gives thanks and praise and offerings to God out of gratitude, realizing what he has on the board, a grateful heart. We should be, quote-unquote, paying God first, just to stick with our analogy. We should be paying God first out of our immense gratitude for his grace provisions, even the ones we work hard for. Again, who's the one that gave you the ability to work, gives you the intelligence to hold the job down, to be persistent, to wake up every morning, to walk? It's all our Father in heaven. So he says, don't forget where your blessings come from. Give to me first in gratitude so I can bless you some more. But that system of thinking is opposite the world's way of thinking. The world says, pay yourself first. Who came up with that? Once again, just because we're so conditioned by our American culture, it doesn't mean it's godly. Just because you've grown up with it as a child and it's normal to think this way in our society doesn't mean it's godly. So right now the issue we're discussing is really not about money. And I hope you see that. On the board, it's about heart issues. Where is your heart regarding saving money? Is your heart hooked on it for fear of not having enough one day? The issue is what your heart is trusting in, in possessions or in the Lord. Amen? Make sense? That's what God's after. God is after our hearts. So do you fear a lack of uh, security or is your security in the Lord, knowing he'll provide for you no matter what? He's the one that said, by the way, not to worry about tomorrow. If you just read Matthew chapter 6. And whatever you do right now, listening to this message, whatever you're convicted of right now, please do not condemn yourself for the past. That's not what this is about. God gives us the truth to set us free. So don't condemn yourself right now. Just say, huh, maybe I should change my thinking. Maybe I should repent and turn around in the way I think about money, in the way I think about things, in, the, in what I rely on for security. This is about freedom, not condemnation for the past. So let's look at it, an alternative passage that we saw on Thursday. Hold your place in Luke 12 and go to Matthew 6, 19. Matthew 6, 19. Again, we're still doing some review from Thursday. And I got some good feedback from Thursday that it really helped some people, and that's awesome. You know, the Spirit, again, is trying to set us free from ourselves. Um, So just bear with me as we go through this review, because as you know, we need it. Matthew 6, 19. The Lord said, Do not store up treasure for yourselves on earth. Why? One reason is because it will lead your heart astray. And what's more important to God than your heart? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Now let's stop here for one second. Look what the Lord is plainly kind of saying. He's saying it's kind of silly. It's not even practical to store up things on earth where they can be taken or destroyed. He's saying instead, why not put it somewhere where it can't be taken or destroyed? And that place does exist, investing in the kingdom of God. And then in verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So being in bondage to saving up money is an issue of the heart. And the Lord goes on to say in the same chapter, we're not going to keep reading right now, but in Matthew 6, he goes on to say, you cannot serve both God and wealth. You cannot serve both God, both God and mammon, is one translation. And the Greek word for wealth there, it doesn't mean wealth. It means confidence in wealth. Do you see the heart issue there? He said you cannot serve God and wealth. It's one or the other. And wealth means confidence in wealth. Wealth is personified like a person. I'm putting my confidence in that person, my bank account. It also means greed deified. The word wealth. So you cannot serve God in wealth. You cannot serve God and deify wealth. We're talking about idol worship, right? We're talking about making money and wealth an idol. Where does that take place? In our heart first. So on the board, again, we're talking about heart issues. Wherever you store up your treasure, your heart will be preoccupied with. And I'm going to be very honest with you, sharing some of my own weaknesses right now. Sometimes when I get an excess in finances or I'm low in finances, my heart gets preoccupied with it. Anyone relate? Good. That's just a sickness in my heart that he's trying to cure me of. He's trying to cleanse out. All right? We all have it. But this is what he's after. He, he wants us to protect our hearts from being preoccupied with things that are earthly and temporary and deceptions. So that's what the Spirit's trying to teach us about and to guard against. When we have those kind of thoughts of insecurity, we must repent and turn to Him for security by faith. And at this point, let me share a balanced statement with you. Is there a time to save up money in your life? Maybe. I don't know. Honestly, it's between you and the Lord. Especially if it's to take care of your family, for example. But if it's to build up for self, you have a heart disease. And God wants to cure it. But if God gives you permission to save up for something, then great. Ask Him. The question is, what's your motivation? What's your motivation? And we can't fool God, right? So don't say, oh, I'm saving up money for my family to take care of my kids. But in your heart, you're saying, 
I'm going to make sure there's plenty left over for me when I retire because I'm scared. Let's be honest. Doesn't that go on in your sick minds? Right? Oh, I'm really doing it for this reason. I care about my son. This is all for my son. <laughs> then your son grows up, he moves out, gets a good job, and just by chance you still have a half a million dollars in the bank for yourself. Just, you didn't plan that. God's good. So again, the question is, what's your motivation? God's after our hearts, and we can't fool him. Thank God we can't fool him. So is it a bondage to you? And what is your heart looking to for security? On the board, again, regarding heart issues, who are you trusting in your heart? Man or God? The things of man or the things of God? as we saw in Jeremiah 17. For you gamblers out there, are you placing your money on red or on black? I don't know the name of that game. Does anyone know the name of that game? No takers? <laughs> I gotcha. Where have you been lately? I got Michael on Thursday. I had to get somebody else. But I want to use this analogy again for a reason. Are you placing your money on red or on black? And I'm not talking about gambling. The point is you have to place your treasure somewhere. You have to store it up somewhere. You have to choose to store it up somewhere. So are you storing it up in earthly treasures or heavenly treasures? All right? This is, again, where is your heart at regarding these things? And where your heart is at affects your decisions, of course. Let's go to Luke 12 again. Go to verse 13. Again, I truly hope you see that the, the core issue of this money discussion is, is actually the heart. Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, by the way, that's self, isn't it? I will say to my soul, self, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat and drink merry. Be merry. <laughs> drink merry. What is that? Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Does that sound like our current TV commercials about retirement planning? I mean, isn't, aren't they painting the picture in the commercial of what you can have one day if you're really smart and you sacrifice your stuff for self, put it away for self, and one day you can have this when you're 85 years old and you can't walk? They don't tell you that part. But you know what I mean. I'm being facetious. Isn't this the picture painted in our society 
to pull our hearts away towards self. What is God's opinion of this way of thinking? In verse 20, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So on the board, here's a little perspective check from the Spirit. If Holy Scripture says we are pilgrims just passing through, and our prototype, the Lord Jesus, had nowhere to lay his head, why would we want to try and build up our own little kingdom down here? Are we not living in reality? The world will tell you you are living in reality. Build up your own kingdom down here. Reality is you're here temporarily, possibly only for a matter of days, and you're going to see the Lord shortly, and hopefully you will have invested in his kingdom. Again, if Holy Scripture says we are pilgrims just passing through, and our prototype, the Lord Jesus, had nowhere to lay his head, why would we want to try and build up our own little kingdom down here? The reality is we are here temporarily, not knowing the day of our death, and we're here to bring glory to God, not ourselves. So what's the issue? The issue is actually not saving up money. On the board regarding treasure in the heart, it's about bondage in the heart that's created by storing up treasure on earth. It's about relying on the things of this world instead of the Lord. If the Lord gives you permission to save in a certain area, awesome. It might be called for. There are men in the Bible who were told to save up for the people because there was a famine coming. So, again, it is between you and the Lord. But what's the overall theme of Scripture? What's the theme of the Gospels? Don't waste your time building up your own little kingdom down here. It's foolishness. Again, on the board, it's about bondage in the heart that's created by storing up treasure on earth. It's about relying on the things of this world instead of the Lord. God wants our hearts to be free from such chains. And that's what they are. The Lord is saying to all of us, don't be a fool like this man in the parable. And some very nice, well-mannered, well-speaking people in this world are going to tell you what you should do your financial advisor, who you trust, because he's so smart. And he wears a really good suit and has an expensive office and a Lexus. So whatever he says, I'm doing it. Do we not think that way? Could be a nice guy. I don't know. Could be a snake in the grass, too, who's trying to get all your money. Where does their wisdom come from? Is it the word of God, or is it the ways of the world? Turn to 1 Timothy 6.17. No offense if you're a financial advisor. (laughs) I work in that business too, ironically. Again, the question is, where's your heart? (laughs) Why do you do what you do? What's your motivation? That's what God's after. 
1 Timothy 6.17. Look what Paul says. It sounds like what the Lord Jesus already said. 1 Timothy 6.17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. There's the heart, folks. What, what do you fix your hope on, your confidence in? Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Talking about eternal things. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and have gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. So guard your heart. Guard the new heart the Lord has given you by grace if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the board in Jeremiah 15, 19, they, for their part, may turn to you. But as for you, you must not turn to them. And who is them? Those in the world who are trapped in the world's way of thinking. You must not turn to them. They will try to turn you from the Lord as your sovereign, your king. They will try to turn you from that way of thinking. So be on guard, folks. Over and over and over, the Spirit's saying, guard your hearts. And this even includes when you offer people the gospel. On the board, when you offer people the gospel of Jesus Christ, be, be prepared to stand firm in the faith. Why? Because at times you're going to get some rebukes back. At times, you're going to get some lies thrown at you, even about the gospel and salvation and God. So 1 Timothy 6 just gave us a good transition. If you notice, we just read that passage from the deception of wealth, and now he's talking about the deceptions of false knowledge, which includes the gospel. When sharing the gospel, you may then have lies tossed back at you, such as, oh, we all believe in the same God. Don't worry, what's good for you is good for you. I believe in Jesus, but not that he's God like you, like you think he is. But it's all good. Oh, is it? You're also going to hear people say, I'm a good person. You know, I do what's right. I don't really need to believe in Jesus, in effect, is what they say. Such false knowledge can wear out your soul if you let it. But we must set our face as flint, being prepared to stand firm in the whole truth of the gospel. So again, on the board, when you offer people the gospel of Jesus Christ, be prepared to stand firm in the faith. Even guard your hearts in that area, because you will be tested at times. We might turn in our heart towards someone because we like them. We might call that sentimentality or partiality. And what does partiality do? It compromises truth because you have a favorite. 
And may that never be, especially regarding the gospel, and when we share that accurately. We might allow the false knowledge of others into our souls, accepting their words because we want to be on good terms with them. I mean, let's face it. That's the tendency of the flesh, right? We, we want to be on good terms with everybody. We don't want to make enemies, you know? Can't we all just get along? But we've been taught well in the scriptures here. If you really love someone, you'll stand firm in the truth in love. You'll tell them the truth without compromise because you actually do care about them. On the board, again, guard your hearts. You will allow them to turn to you, talking about your message, the true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you will not be turned by them. You must set your heart that way going into it. You know what I mean? Set your heart that way. Be like, I'm not going to be turned by any of the garbage they throw at me about philosophies and all this stuff without any evidence of the word of God or, or scripture to back up their philosophy. So that's our mindset going in. Guard your hearts. No man had to stand firm in the Lord's message more than Jeremiah. From what I've read in Jeremiah recently and what we read this week, he was constantly telling the truth from God in the face of a people who didn't want to hear it. They hated him. They hated him. They locked him up at times. He had the commission, and here's probably why. He had the commission to pass bad news on to the Jews. God told him to tell them, you are going to be conquered by the Babylonians. And you should surrender if you want to live. Does that sound familiar, by the way? You should surrender if you want to live. But the Jews didn't want to hear that. They said, we're going to fight for our land. We're going to beat them again, even though they were totally, as a people, anti-God, worshiping idols all over the place, doing evil things. They didn't want to hear the message from God, which was, now is time for discipline and judgment. If you surrender, you can live. You can go into captivity, and I'll bring you back one day. But if you don't surrender, you will die. They didn't want to hear that. They denied Jeremiah was giving God's message. But Jeremiah stood firm in the truth, despite the fact that most people hated him. And that's going to happen to us, folks, at times, especially as our country goes in this downward spiral. I don't even know how to describe where we're going. But on the board, swayed by sentimentality, Jeremiah truly had to be on guard for being swayed from the truth by sentimentality, as do we with our people, our country, our families. He was preaching, preaching to his Jewish brethren, whom he loved. But he obeyed the Lord, allowing whoever was humble enough to turn to him, his message, the gospel, the true gospel, the good news of God, the way to be saved, he allowed people to turn to him, but he wouldn't turn to them. He wouldn't be swayed by their beliefs and then change his own heart. On the board, swayed by sentimentality, the prophet Ezekiel had a similar call to the stubborn children of Israel. And he likewise had to stand firm, not turning towards or joining his rebellious brethren. 
Turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel, chapter 2, verse 4. Again, the prophet Ezekiel had a similar call to Jeremiah, to the stubborn children of Israel, and he likewise had to stand firm, not turning towards or joining his rebellious brethren. And this might sound familiar in your life today, as we have stubborn worldly people in our lives who reject the Lord and give out alternative philosophies on life without any backing from Scripture. Look at Ezekiel 2.4. I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, As for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, though thistles and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. Neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. But you shall speak my words to them, God says. You shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. Now you, son of man, listen to what I'm speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I'm giving you. So Ezekiel actually had to be told by God, don't be rebellious like them. Don't sway towards them because they're all unified in this one system of thinking. And the tendency is to think, oh, if everyone's doing it, it must be right. Ezekiel, watch your heart. Listen to my words and preach my words. Don't let sentimentality for your brethren make you compromise and rebel with them. And stand firm in the word of God. That's what God's saying to us as we go out in the Great Commission and spread the good news. Ezekiel also had a vision of God before this. And he saw a vision of angelic beings that reminds us of what we see in the book of Revelation. Let's read his initial vision from God, and I want you to notice how the angelic creatures moved. Turn to Ezekiel 1, verse 1. One whole page, right? Ezekiel 1, 1. Again, pay attention to how the angelic creatures moved and the topic of turning. Now, it came about in the 30th year, on the fifth day of the fourth month, while I was by the river Kebar among the exiles, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, in the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's exile, the word of the Lord came express, expressly to Ezekiel, the priest, son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kebar. And there the hand of the Lord came upon him. As I looked, behold, a storm wind was coming from the north, a great cloud with, fl- with fire flashing forth continually, and a bright light around it, and in its midst something like glowing metal in the midst of the fire. Within it there were figures resembling four living beings, and this was their appearance. They had human form. Each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and their feet were like calf's hoof, and they gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings on their four sides were human hands. 
As for the faces and wings of the four of them, their wings touched one another. Their faces did not turn when they moved. Each went straight forward. As for the form of their faces, each had the face of a man. All four had the face of a lion on the right and the face of a bull on the left. And all four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Each had two touching another being and two covering their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. If only we could follow that example. Again in verse 12, each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. On the board, we're talking about walking by faith. Wherever the Spirit goes or leads, we go, without turning as we go. For example, Ezekiel 1.12. The question is, is our heart committed to what God wants for our daily walk? Is our heart committed to what God wants for our daily walk? On the board, are we walking by faith? Are we listening for the Spirit's direction for our day and obeying Him without turning to our own ideas? Or are we so locked in to our own agenda for the day that we ignore the Spirit and we hear Him but push Him aside even? Something to think about. Are you so locked into your routine of the day or what you expect your day or even want your day to be that you close out the Spirit? That you aren't listening for His guidance for the day? I mean, every day is different. It's supposed to be. I mean, we have a routine. Many of us, I mean, you have to have a routine. You have a job, whatever it is. But are you open to the Spirit's leading? And when he does show you which way to go, do you go without turning? Or do you hear him but push him aside? Maybe another way to put it is this on the board. Walking by faith. Is your heart open to the Spirit's leading each day? And if so, do you obey when he directs you without turning to the right or the left? Good test for all of us. No condemnation here. This is about looking forward. This is about walking by faith today and then the next day and then the next day. Some of you might say, well, the Spirit isn't showing me what to do in my day. My question for you is, are you asking Him? Are you in the sincerity of your heart asking Him for His direction? Do you think He can get your attention? Do you think the Spirit knows how to get your attention? So what we do is we, we condemn ourselves. We say, I can't hear the Spirit. I don't know how to hear the Spirit, right? If you ask Him to show you, do you think He can show you? Do you think He can put a sign in front of your face as you're driving down the highway? Do you think He can, I don't know, have three people text you the same message? Can He do that? Of course, right? So why do we... Uh, you know, get introspective and say, boy, I suck. My spiritual life sucks. I don't know. I'm not listening to God. I can't hear him. Have you asked him? 
sincerely for direction? When's the last time he did that? He's faithful. So even as we live our daily routines, which include things the Lord wants us to be faithful in and steady in, what if he wants you to stop and do something else? Because it interrupts your routine, are you not open to doing it? We are all control freaks, after all. We know that. But if he leads you to do something out of your routine, are you not open to it? When the Spirit directs us, we should follow his direction or his conviction without looking to the right or to the left. Again, look at Ezekiel 1.12 in your Bibles. And each went straight forward. Wherever the Spirit was about to go, they would go, without turning as they went. So this attitude, this steadfastness of heart, also includes the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, this is our main calling as believers, as we've learned, to live in the Great Commission and to stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But do you see that this is an attitude of the heart? There's a certain steadfastness that you can choose to adopt as your own. As the scripture says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. That's up to you. That's your free will decision. On the board, be on guard. Our heart should not turn to the right or the left. Our heart should be set on his good news and sharing the ideas of repentance and faith with others without compromise. So we've seen how steadfast Jeremiah and Ezekiel had to be when sharing the word of God with a stubborn people. And as our dear Bill Johnson always says, it's the exact same thing today. Right, Bill? Exact same thing today as it was thousands of years ago. People are people. Look around. It's the same thing going on. So now I need you all to concentrate. I need you to sit back. We're going to go for about 10 more minutes. We're actually not doing bad on time. But this is very important that we finish this topic today. So sit back and refocus and realize this is from the Spirit. This brings us to the Apostle Paul, who was steadfast in his approach to the gospel. In fact, even though he might present it with different words to different people, he was steady and uncompromising in what he knew must be proclaimed. He was a tiger that makes sense. He was ferocious with his steadfastness of mind and heart. I am not turning to the right or to the left. This is the gospel. This is the whole story. And I'm sticking to it. I don't care what you say. I don't, you can philosophize, uh, whatever I'm trying to say, the Greek philosopher. You can bring them into the picture. You can start talking about, you know, ancient peoples before us. I don't care what you talk about. Jesus Christ fulfilled the prophecies. He's God in the flesh, and he's resurrected from the dead. And unless you repent and believe in him, you can't be saved. That was Paul. He was uncompromising because he loved the people. It didn't seem like love to a lot of people. 
Turn in your Bibles to Acts 20, verse 17. So I want you to see the steadfastness in Paul's heart. And this passage should be quite familiar to many of you if you attend the Wednesday night Bible studies. Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And then when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a good question for all of us. Do we solemnly testify to people? the gospel? Look again in verse 21. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we solemnly testify to people? Or are we aloof, giving a watered-down gospel because it's more comfortable? Maybe, just maybe, people should see how solemn and sober this subject is. Because there is a judgment to come, folks. There is. Why don't we level with people? Because we don't want to bring them bad news like Jeremiah did. And if, we don't, if they don't even know there's bad news to be had, how are they going to turn to the good news? So just a thought. I mean, Paul testified to people solemnly, constantly, about repentance and faith. Paul was likewise persistent and even ferocious in his desire to stand firm in the truth of the gospel. And even though he appeared tough with people at times, it was his love for God and his people that held him firm. Kind of like a good parent would do for their children, would be steadfast and firm in the right discipline, in the right ways, because of love. So we could say Paul didn't turn in his heart to their systems of thinking. He wouldn't compromise. Look at Acts 20, verse 25. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among, the, from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that day and night for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, 
which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul warns us all to be on guard because people in our lives will distort the gospel, even unknowingly. They'll try to drag you down with them. Remember we started this series with last Sunday. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our true struggle is really not against people. They are deceived by the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. They've been deceived by the kingdom of darkness to think there's another gospel. To think money's going to save them. To think their reputation's going to save them. To think they're good enough on their own. They've just been deceived. And they're unknowingly going to try to drag you down. So be on guard as you give the gospel. Go to Galatians 1, verse 6. Just a couple more passages and then we'll close. Galatians 1, 6. Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by, by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, he is to be accursed. As we've said before, and so say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Wow. Verse 10. For I am now, or am I now, seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So are you a man pleaser? Are you a people pleaser? I've been guilty. Don't want to be. But the flesh pulls us that way sometimes. Who are we here for on this earth? Are we here to please men or please God? Galatians 2.1. Look at Galatians 2.1. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Silas <laughs> along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we had in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. Look at verse 5. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Guard your hearts. Have that attitude that Paul had in verse 5. We did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour. 
so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. We don't want anybody to be led astray from the truth of the gospel. So we're not going to tolerate or accept or be turned by the subtle lies that try to distort the gospel. On the board, we have Paul's steadfast example. Paul lived his life and his ministry like a strong, thick oak tree. Go outside and try to move an oak tree. He wasn't moving in his stand for truth. And that reliability, that strength in the message of the gospel saved a lot of people's lives and protected a lot of souls. Countless number. Again, Paul lived his life and his ministry like a strong, thick oak tree. He wasn't moving in his stand for truth. That reliability and that strength in the message of the gospel saved a lot of people's lives and protected a lot of souls. Precious souls are always listening, even to your voice, maybe around the corner. You might be speaking with someone about the gospel and someone is listening that you don't see. And because you are firm in the grace and truth of the gospel, because you solemnly preach repentance and faith to be saved, that person is stabilized in their soul on the truth and possibly even comes to salvation. Why? Because you decided in your heart to be steadfast in the truth and not be swayed to the right or the left. So in love, let's imitate Paul's faith as he imitated Christ's. As Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 3.5 on the board, May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your wonderful truth, your word that sets us free. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, his guiding us and convicting us and gently setting us free with truth so that whoever is humble enough to believe and follow will be set free, will be given grace. Father, we just thank you for all these hard lessons. We thank you for helping us examine our hearts before you. And we ask, Father, that you strengthen our hearts, that you help us rely on you alone for security, you alone for truth, you alone is our provider. And if anyone's listening right now who has never personally trusted in Christ, I want to remind you that God loves you very much, so much that he sent his son to the cross for you to take your place in judgment for your sins. And if you repent in your heart, if you turn from sin and self and admit you can't save yourself and turn to Christ as Lord and Savior, if you do that thing by the grace of God, you will be saved. Father, we ask that you help us continue on in your word one day at a time, Father. Help us walk by faith and not by sight. And we ask that you help us bring out the gospel 
to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, and by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. Thank you.